0: Today we are discussing the escalating Israeli violence in Palestine. There have been hundreds of mobs of Israeli settlers attacking Palestinian towns and setting homes and cars on fire. This comes on the heels of a violent invasion by the Israeli military into the Palestinian city of Jenin, which resulted in the loss of six Palestinian lives, including a 15-year-old boy, and wounded at least 90 more. For the first time in two decades, Israel attacked Palestinians using a helicopter. The helicopter shot a rocket at a Palestinian refugee camp. Additionally, Israel announced plans last week to build over 4,000 illegal settlements on Palestinian land, signaling an unsettling intensification of the occupation. Today, these events paint a concerning picture of a far-right government escalating its daily violence against Palestinians, encouraging its citizens to participate in stealing more Palestinian land. Here to make sense of it all is host of the podcast, Deanna Butu. Welcome, Deanna.
1: Thank you, Khadr. Thanks for taking over the hosting.
0: So, Deanna, the scenes that we are witnessing in the last few hours and days are just horrific. We're seeing hundreds and hundreds of Israeli settlers attacking Palestinians and destroying their property. And Israeli politicians are making statements emboldening this behavior. We just saw far-right National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir making a statement saying, and I quote, Now is the time for military operation in Judea and Samaria, referring to the occupied West Bank. What are your thoughts of the recent attacks by Israeli soldiers and Israeli settlers and the statements made by Israeli politicians?
1: Well, there's a lot there, Hata, There's a lot to unpack. Um, first, I want to put it in its proper context. The occupation. Israel's occupation is violent. To To maintain an occupation requires violence. And that's what Israel has been doing since 1967. We're now... In our 57th year of Israel's military occupation. And the only way that this happens is through violence. That's it. There's no other way that they can maintain this. So what we're seeing now is just the continuing status quo of what it means to be living as a Palestinian on a daily basis facing this violence. Um, But that said, the reason that there are a number of reasons that Israel is is intensifying and making it even worse. And the number one reason is because it can. No matter what Israel does, no matter what it uses, um, these helicopters, as you mentioned, assassinating people, shooting uh, journalists, killing kids, the response by the international community is muted. It's always something like with concern um, or or shocked or something like that, but there's never really any action. Uh, it's the equivalent of when there's a massive, when there's a, a, a massive gun shooting in the United States, and we see politicians come forward and say that they're expressing thoughts and prayers. This is the equivalent of thoughts and prayers. The US is doing nothing and all of the other countries are doing nothing. And so all that it does is it emboldens Israel. Now, the other reasons that Israel is doing this now is, uh, in addition to because it can, is because there is an extreme right-wing government that's in place, but it's not just an extreme right-wing government. It's a genocidal right-wing government. This is a right-wing government that believes in ethnic cleansing, Members of this government have expressed support for ethnic cleansing. We even have the person who's in charge of public security, the man you mentioned, Itamar Benigvir, being somebody who has indicated that Meir Kahane, a man who supported and believed in the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, he talks about him in, in glowing terms. He talked about Baruch Goldstein, a man who actually uh, carried out a massacre Against Palestinians. He called him his hero. So, in addition to the because they can, we now have this right wing government that sees that this is their opportunity. This is their opportunity, their chance to do whatever it is that they want. And because they can, because nobody is stopping them, they're forging on ahead. And now, of course, the third reason that they're doing this is because, um, as I'm sure you're aware, There have been protests taking place inside um, Israeli uh, cities and towns now for six months as Israelis are protesting this judicial overhaul process. And one thing that we've learned over Israel's history is that while Israelis might not be united on a day to day basis, what does unite them is when they kill us. Um, We've seen this tactic take place during election period when Israel intensifies its attacks on Palestinians in order to get votes and we're now seeing this same system taking shape as a means of trying to stop this protest movement instead of the protests focusing on Palestinians and on Palestinian rights and what on what Israel's doing instead these protests continue and the Israeli government is hoping that this will somehow either stop or that instead um, they will once again unite together in their hatred against Palestinians. So it's we're seeing a one, two, three uh, because they can, because we have this right wing government in place and because they want to stop this protest movement.
0: Deanna, I want to ask you a little bit more about the recent violence that we're seeing, but I also want to talk a bit about annexation, which I feel like is a major factor in all these different actions that we're seeing. During a recent meeting held on Sunday, the Israeli cabinet took actions that further challenged Palestinians' claims and rights to the West Bank. They unveiled plans to push forward with the construction of more than 4,500 settlements further encroaching on Palestinian land. Adding to this, the cabinet also decided to amend a law that now enables settlers to return to and reoccupy settlements and outposts that were previously evacuated. These actions continue to raise serious concerns about the ongoing displacement and disenfranchisement of the Palestinian people. And I thought maybe you could just shed some more light to our listeners about the government's move towards this open policy of annexation now and explain a little bit what annexation is.
1: So uh, first, I'm going to talk about what annexation is. Annexation is taking over the territory of another country, Um, and it's illegal under international law. This is why um, the annexation of Crimea was considered to be illegal. This is why uh, annexation of any territory around the world is considered to be illegal, because it goes against the the rule number one in international law, which is you can't take over um, territory by force. You can't acquire it. So um, so this hit, what Israel has done over the course of since, since 1967 is that they've been slowly taking over the West Bank, and they do this by building and expanding settlements. We all know that. But they also do it by, by extending Israeli law to these settlements. So, for example, there isn't a separate law that affects um, businesses in, in, Israeli businesses that are in illegal settlements. There isn't a separate criminal law as compared to the Israeli criminal law. It's all the same law. In other words, they've been applying Israeli civilian law onto these settlements. And that is a form of annexation. So that's why over the years, people have always been saying that what Israel has done is de facto annex, which is correct. They've in fact been annexing um, since 1967 through the building and expansion of settlements and, the, and and by applying Israeli law onto these settlements. Again, there's no separate legal system. Um, there's a separate legal system for Palestinians, but not for, for Israelis whether those Israelis live inside the settlements or whether they live inside uh, 48. Um, but now what Israel's doing is it's changing the rules. So now, one of the things that they most recently did was they announced that to build and expand Israeli settlements, it no longer has to grow through the regular process of building settlements. It now can just be a decision on the part of the minister. Now, who's the minister? The minister is a man named Bezalel Smotrich, who himself is an Israeli settler who has Gotten his support base from the settler movement, who believes in Israeli um, settler, uh, settler, in the settler movement. He believes in settlement expansion. And he once um, ruled, he once formed an NGO that is itself responsible. It is the NGO that is working to try to. Remove and destroy Palestinian villages and wipe them off the map. He's the person who started this this uh, NGO, this nonprofit, not for profit organization called Regavim. So what he just recently did was they passed a, a a law saying that they changed the rules, saying that now all that he needs to do is to sign off on the establishment of settlements again one step closer to annexation. To add to this, we also have what Israel has been doing um, most in, in March, which is in 2005, I'm going to back up a little bit. So in 2005, Israel carried out a plan that was called the disengagement plan. And what they did is they pulled out of the settlements that were in the Gaza Strip And four very isolated settlements in the West Bank. So entirely out of the Gaza Strip and four out of the West Bank. Now, of course, that doesn't mean the occupation ended, of course. It still continues. It just means that they pulled out the settlements and that's it. Now, in 2005, when they pulled out of these settlements, they gave an assurance to the U.S. government that they wouldn't go back again, that they wouldn't rebuild the settlements that they had pulled out of. And it was on that basis that the U.S. actually supported this plan. Well, in March of this year, um, this right-wing government, again, it's a right-wing that's led by the settler movement, reversed a law saying that the settlers who had been pulled out of these four settlements in the West Bank could go back and so since March of this year, we've been slowly seeing that these settlers are going back. And in particular, they've gone back to one settlement, um, a set, an Israeli settlement called Homesh, and they've been terrorizing, literally terrorizing the people of the town of Burqa. Now, this particular settlement is a strategic settlement. It's on a hilltop. It is um, when it goes back up, it's going to divide Nablus from Janine, and it makes life hell for Palestinians. That's their point. So once again, we see that in addition to changing the rules, in addition to announcing more and more settlements that are going up, we also see that the that Israel is even going against the promises that they made to the u.s government by allowing israeli settlers to go back and to rebuild this settlement and so this is in part why we've seen all of these settler attacks against palestinians because they can and because the israeli government is actually fueling these people and then hiding behind them so they fuel them and say go ahead do whatever you want and then they hide and say well there's nothing that we can really do to stop them, which is why we've seen the attacks in Durmasayyeh. We've seen the attacks in Hawara, We've seen the, ta- the attacks in Burqa and in other places because the Israeli army has not only turned a blind eye, they've actually let them loose and let them do whatever it is that they want to do in these places. In each of the the towns that I mentioned, Khadr, Every time you see a video and any time you speak to any of these families, they will screen um, the same thing, that these are, that the Israelis are carrying out these very violent attacks, and they always recall Duma, uh, the the a, an area that Israeli settlers um, attacked many years ago and set an, an a, set the place on fire, killing the Dawabshi family, um, including a little boy named Ali, his two parents. And the only person who survived that attack was a four-year-old boy who was named Ahmed. He was the only one who survived that attack from the, the Dawabshi family. So whether you go in the north or in the south, each and every attack, you hear Palestinians saying, these are pogroms and they're here to attack us. They want to do to us what they did to the Dawabshi family.
0: Have you seen settler attacks at this scale before? Or is this something new because they feel emboldened by the extreme government that's instilled right now in Israel? Or have we seen something like this in the past at this level?
1: We have. There have always been um, settler attacks. The, the settler attacks tend to be concentrated around certain times of the year. For example, during the olive um, harvest, because they want to make sure that we don't have a livelihood. They want to attack us during that period. In and around the Muslim holidays, there are usually um, settler attacks. But there's also settler attacks, uh, you know, also in, in different times of the year. That said, this level of settler attack where you see hundreds of Israeli settlers in the streets, setting cars on fire, setting houses on fire, setting businesses on fire, setting orchards on fire. This level is, is something that I have not witnessed in recent times, recent being the past few years. But the whole purpose is because this government is a government that is, um, that is fueling them. Remember, Smotrich, the man who is effectively in charge of the settlements, is the same man who indicated that Hawada should be wiped off the map? Um, so this is this is something the these uh, these politicians are fueling these settler attacks, and because they want to see Palestinians pay with their with their property and most especially with their lives.
0: And I just wanted to ask you, what has the U.S. response been to the settler attacks to Israel's? Move to basically an open policy towards annexation.
1: It's really interesting, Khadr, when I see the statements that the that the um, that the Americans make when it comes to whether Israelis are killed or whether Palestinians are killed. When it's Israeli settlers, for example, who are killed, um, the Israeli the U.S. government personalizes it and they condemn it and they condemn it in the strongest terms. And then when when it's when uh, Israel's killing Palestinians, it's expressions of concern, um, they, sometimes they express shock, uh, sometimes dismay. But Palestinians are uh, rarely, if ever, personalized. It's really only when it's an American citizen that we see that the, the Israel's killing of Palestinians is personalized by, um, by the US. But more importantly, they behave as though this is something that they don't have in their power to control. Let's be clear. This, is, this U.S. government, this is a government that is not only an ally to Israel, but it's actually fueling much of this. It gives Israel billions of dollars of money every year, amounting to millions of dollars every single day. It shields it from. Uh, it gives it diplomatic support. It shields it from immune from. It provides it immunity. Shields it from criticism. So this isn't just a passerby who's who's condemning or or looking on and saying, "Oh, this is horrible." This is a government. The U.S. government is actually very supportive and is complicit in this. And that is the problem: is that that the U.S. has done absolutely nothing in terms of what it can and should be doing. I believe that if Israel got a red light somewhere, somehow, that it would be thinking twice. But right now, the only um, red light that it is seeing is the resistance um, and the resistance movement. And apart from that, countries around the world have actually given Israel effectively the green light to continue.
0: Yeah, and I want to shift gears here for a little bit. I think when people discuss Israeli violence, something that is often left out in the conversation is the mental health aspect uh, of this violence being committed daily towards Palestinians. And I was just wondering what you thought about the long-term effects of experiencing violence like this on the mental health of Palestinians.
1: You know, Heather, that's such a great question. Um, people always talk about PTSD. There's no post for Palestinians. There's no post trauma. Every single day is trauma. And we live knowing that tomorrow is going to be worse than today. That's our life. Um, because occupation is violent. And you never really get a chance to catch up with it. You're You never get a chance to be able to process it. You're always living on edge. You're always worried about even the smallest things about um, whether your kids are going to make it home, uh, whether your loved one is going to make it home. But not even that, as we saw just this week with the attack in in Janine and other places. You're also worried about your kids and your family who are at home. No place is safe for us, ever. And you can be killed at any moment, and nobody will ever do anything other than somehow, in, in a best-case scenario, consider you to be, as they put it, quote-unquote, collateral damage, um, but nothing beyond that.
0: And in your analysis, Deanna, how do you see these policies that the Israeli government has been doing, playing out in the long term? And do you see any kind of newer policy? Can you predict any kind of newer policies on the horizon um, based off what you're seeing currently?
1: The the newer policies, they're going to ramp up the the assassination policy that they have in place. That's that's one. They, they've already started it. They're going to continue along this path. I think the last time that they carried out was somewhere around 2006. I suspect that this is going to continue into the future. Um, second thing is talking about Palestinian political prisoners. We've already seen that um, that with 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 Khadr Adnan's death, um, that the Israelis are more than happy to to make sure that Palestinians die. Um, for as much as people were thinking that somehow Israel was going to change its policies when it came to those who are on hunger strike, it's clear that Israel doesn't care. I fully suspect that they're going to, um, they will never release Walid Dhaka, a Palestinian political prisoner who's already been in prison now for 37 years. They extended his prison term by two and a half years. He has a rare form of cancer um, and they have not released him. They're, the Israelis are even now refusing to let him see his family. I fully expect that they're going to let him die in prison. I fully expect that they're going to um, that they're also going to put the, the Israeli settlement construction enterprise on steroids and build and expand and build and expand because they can and because this is their one chance, there will not be another government like this for a while. So they're going to use this opportunity to do what it is that they can do. And again, let's be clear, there's not going to be any U.S. government or any government around the world that is going to say to Israel, pull out of the settlements. That's why they're, they're building at this breakneck speed um, faster than any other pace that we've seen in the past. And I fully expect that they're going to continue to raid Palestinian cities and towns. Again, because they can. And again, because we don't really have a Palestinian political uh, leadership that is doing anything to stop them. We instead see that Palestinians are forced to protect themselves when it should be that we have somebody who's protecting us. Um, but instead, Palestinians are forced to protect themselves. So I fully expect that Israel is going to continue full steam ahead because it can.
0: Well, Deanna, thank you for your time and your analysis on the current situation. and I hope you stay safe.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. For the- thank you for listening to This is Palestine, a podcast brought to you by the Institute for Middle East Understanding. The IMEU is a nonprofit focused on giving you access to untold stories, facts, and expert sources on all things Palestine. For more information, please visit our website at www.imeu.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The IMEU. Please don't forget to subscribe. I'm Deanna Bucci. Thanks for listening.